new horror movies directed exclusively by women-identified directors that prove that the female of the species is more deadly than the male behind the camera. I'm your co-host, Rachel, <laughs> and joining me <laughs> is the always lovely Ariel. Hi. <laughs> hey, girl. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. It's yeah, been a long yeah. week, I think, for both of us, but I'm uh, doing pretty good. Yeah, I mean, it's been an <laughs> exciting week, but also a very long week. <laughs> yeah, you have had an incredible week in some ways. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was kind of nuts. Should we talk about that? Is that weird? I always feel like no. I'm tooting my own horn, which is terrible. <laughs> it's probably some weird gender thing that's been socialized into me yeah, to never talk totally about is. my accomplishments. But brag, like, brag. I mean, I don't want to brag. It's just kind of cool. It's not even like, oh, I'm so amazing. It's just a cool thing that happened and I got to be a part of it is kind of yeah. how I feel about it. And obviously that was I got to break break the Elvira coming out story. Which I've never had more articles go viral like that, which was like simultaneously really, really exciting. But also, I don't know, I got really nervous. Oh, really? And I can see yeah, that knowing you. Yeah. <laughs> I got very, very nervous. What if I did something wrong? Now it's on such no, a public platform. It was, it was great, though. The article it, was it's great. It's turned out okay, knock on yeah. wood. <laughs> yeah, it was just super exciting to see. I would go on social media and everybody in the horror community, all of the directors we follow, they were all talking about it. It was very cool. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. See, I really was too nervous to like and... go on social media, really. So I didn't really <laughs> see any of it. The only way I really knew it was popping off was because the cross-section of people that reached out to me or said something about it blew my mind. Yeah. We got an email where someone was like, did you see this? And I was like, oh. <laughs> that was so funny <laughs> honestly my career has peaked i, I might as well retire like <laughs> i don't know that i'm ever gonna be elvira comes out you know what i mean like done we're done but it was yeah it was really it was crazy i think about you know other bigger i mean the advocate is a very well established publication but they don't necessarily break a lot of mainstream news it's a little more niche but i think about these other sites that do this on a regular basis or newspapers that do this shit on a regular basis i can't even imagine if this was an everyday kind of thing yeah that seems like it might be a little overwhelming i will say that the the advocate's server went down oh really oh my god yeah. rachel that's so cool <laughs> i was like breaking the internet one server each <laughs> uh, <laughs> it was a very cool week even for me i of course had nothing to do with the article but just knowing you and i was seeing it everywhere i'm like i know her i know the woman who wrote oh, that article. <laughs> you better stop i mean that makes me feel very nice <laughs> and i also <laughs> <laughs> I feel like such an imposter. I know that that is like, again, like a gendered socialized thing, but the simultaneous excitement and imposter syndrome were mm, at yeah. war inside oh. me. And also, like I said, having it go so public, I was like, what if I, what if I did something wrong? Everyone will see it. Right. This is right. going to be a really big fucking deal if I messed up, you know? Then it was it's, <laughs> knock on wood. It's been fine. Everything's yeah, fine. It's been great. So yeah, it's been a crazy, exciting week. I don't know. It's making me realize I should talk more about my writing, but yeah, you should. More people like, should people know are still have personal brands, and I'm just like, oh, that's not me. <laughs> I'm the nerd. The, I became a writer because I'm a nerd. I'm a nerd at the corner, antisocial nerd. <laughs> <laughs> not anymore. <laughs> I mean, it's one story. It's, it's, it's fine. <laughs> 
anyway, enough about me. I'm getting nervous. So, Ariel, how have you been this week? Any updates on Pizza Ghost? So I haven't had any more pizzas delivered. But That's the bullshit, man. Right. Yeah, I agree. Where is my food? <laughs> um, <laughs> but I do think that there's either something ghosty happening in my house or I'm losing my mind a little bit. Por qué no los dos? <laughs> oh, cool. <laughs> Not just That's kidding. the best option, right? <laughs> Why choose when you can have it all? <laughs> <laughs> so my dad sent me some records for my birthday and I went to play them and no sound was coming out. And I looked over to my bookshelf and my little speakers are uh-huh. gone. They are missing. They're not huge speakers. They're bookshelf speakers. But they seemingly what? do not exist in my apartment anymore. <laughs> and Did I can't borrow them. Happened. Did your nephew borrow them? No, he would have no reason to. I can't figure it out. I can't figure Did it out. They're gone. I have searched them? everywhere. Well, nobody's been here for a couple of weeks because I've been in quarantine. Oh. And you've used them since I have you went back used into quarantine. Them. <laughs> yes. And now they are gone. And I live in a tiny apartment. It's under 700 square feet. There are only so many places you can put something, right? There is a so, dude in your walls. There is a dude in your walls who wants to like <laughs> rock out with his uh, sheetrock. He wants to sheetrock out. I don't know. Oh my God. <laughs> I was like, wait, what are walls made of? Oh, wait, sheetrock. There's a better joke here and I fucked it up. <laughs> What anyway? So I don't know what's going on. Either I picked them up and unplugged them and hid them somewhere and just have zero memory of doing it. And can't find them now. Or somebody came into my apartment but only stole them and nothing else of value, (laughs) which doesn't make any sense. Okay, so here's my question. Are you a sleepwalker? I mean, I never have been, but I had that thought the other day that what if all the mysterious things that happen around my apartment are just because I'm sleepwalking and don't know it? Should I put up some kind of camera and watch myself sleep? Have you watched Malignant? (laughs) (laughs) Check. The back of my head? Yes. Is that why why I have migraines? (laughs) Ariel. (laughs) Does the word name Gabriel mean anything to you? Does that unlock it? <laughs> do you feel like you have someone else's thoughts <laughs> oh my god <laughs> spoilers for malignant sorry <laughs> oh right <laughs> whoops maybe i'll bleep some of that <laughs> but yeah maybe i mean is there a ver- okay do you need to set up that camera you bought for the front porch you need to yeah set up in my own apartment yourself? Are we going to get some crazy ass paranormal activity style footage of you just standing over the bed <laughs> that rocking? That would be terrifying. <laughs> I really hope that's not true. Hopefully you're just doing chores. You're going to see yourself with like a dust buster. And, I like, mean, that would know. be great. Honestly, I feel like that's probably not happening because my life would be a whole lot more organized if it was. <laughs> <laughs> I'm yeah, way that's... too big of a mess for that. So if nobody has been in your house, I would not put it past Russia. <laughs> but he lacks he a devious the, little fellow <laughs> he lacks the thumbs required for right. like really pulling that off he's not opening drawers and shit so i i think he could pull them off the shelf i don't know that he could put them somewhere you couldn't find them <laughs> no, so i'm just going to 
for the time being, clear him and Sabrina of all charges. Okay. Okay. They're innocent. So that leaves <laughs> you. Yeah. Or dude in the wall. Or ghost. <sighs> I mean, but like we're going to be talking about a scene in the movie coming up that we are going to be talking about today with a dude in the wall scene, and it always freaks me out so much. I, I mean, really don't like you know, idea. I'm going to have a positive review of this movie because it has my favorite, yeah, trope, which is dude. In the wall. <laughs> like yeah. you can give me a trash movie, if but if the reveal is dude in the wall, I'm like best movie I've ever seen. In. Excellent. <laughs> Ten out of ten would watch again. Oh my gosh, Homebound! That guy always steals technology to build things. Ariel, I think Pizza Ghost is maybe Pizza Guy of the Wall. <laughs> pizza Gary. No. <laughs> pizza Gary. <laughs> I wonder if you need to ask him. Okay, so I've been, you know, I play a ton of phasmophobia to the point where it has taken over a large portion of my brain. And one okay. of the things you always have to do is do like the spirit box and you have to say, give me a sign. Maybe you need to do a little give me a sign action. See if you can get Pizza Gary to knock on the insides of the walls. <laughs> okay. <laughs> or, I mean, honestly, okay, I guess the real question is, if there is a Pizza Gary in your walls, would you rather know? Obviously, option A, get him the fuck out, right? And yeah. but would you rather A, know there's a Pizza Gary or just live in blissful ignorance and like, hey, maybe there's a Pizza Gary, but probably not. That's Rachel is always jumping to Pizza Gary's. Oh, that's a hard question. I'm a curious enough person that I would like to know, but I also really don't want that to be my reality. So I feel like I'm going to pick blissful ignorance then. Right. Although it does mean that but... he's still watching you shower. Hmm. Yeah, I'm not a big fan of that. <laughs> <laughs> my cats already do that enough. You know? Yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. <laughs> I know what you mean. I lo there's nothing quite as aggrieved as a cat that has been had a do bathroom door closed on them. <laughs> the injustice. They sing the song of their people in the most. <laughs> but yeah, I All don't right, know, well, Ariel. I think I I'll think do the some next step. I guess the next step is we got a paranormal activity video. You and okay. maybe a little knock on the wall and see if you get knocked back. Oh, boy. <laughs> I'm going to have to work up to that, I think. <laughs> okay. Uh, we, as I said, we've got two steps here. Even if you only accomplish one between now and the next episode, we can find out the results of that. And then I think we need to revisit knocking on the wall. Okay. All right. Okay. That's fair. All right. We're going to have to get some kind of like heat sensing technology <laughs> so that you can run it over the walls and see if you see any people shaped oh warm spots no. <laughs> well then we're gonna smoke pizza gary out <laughs> oh my goodness <laughs> this is the worst <sighs> or the best who knows who knows all right anywho let's talk about what we're gonna be talking about yeah this show so today we are gonna be reviewing a probably if not the number one most anticipated movie of the year for us, in the top two, right? And yes. I feel like it is it's between this and Halloween Kills are yep. the two that I've been most like, ah! So I'm super, super, super excited to talk about this with you today. Me too. We are going to be reviewing Candyman directed by Nia DaCosta. For two years in a row, our most anticipated I know. This is a Candyman. lot of build up. <laughs> it sure is. <laughs> uh, so before we get into that, though... Please let our listeners know, even though we have been very bad on this front this episode, 
what our spoiler policy <laughs> is going forward. Yes. All right. So I am going to give you guys some information about the director, Nia DaCosta, and the making of Candyman. And then we are going to give you our non-spoiler thoughts. So we'll kind of tell you whether this one is worth checking out. And then after that, we are going to get into spoiler territory and we'll talk about sort of all the beats of the movie. So if that's something that bothers you, Candyman is now on VOD. So you can watch it easily and then come back and finish listening. Absolutely. All right. So Ariel, this was a you pick, which means you got to look up all the goodies about Nia and the production of this film. So why don't you tell me a little bit about the director and the production information? Yeah. Okay. So Nia DaCosta was born in Brooklyn, New York, and she grew up in Harlem. She was raised by her mother who moved to the U.S. from Jamaica. And this has not a lot to do with Nia DaCosta herself, but weird, cool fact about her mom. She was a singer and a group called Whirl a Girl who hmm. feature on the soundtrack for the movie Cool Runnings. What? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's crazy. I know. It's so random. <laughs> So DaCosta started thinking of filmmaking as sort of a viable career when she was 16. She had read Heart of Darkness for an AP English course, and then they watched Apocalypse Now. And so uh -huh. she became really fascinated by all the sort of crazy stuff that happened in the harrowing story of the making of that movie. Ooh. And Francis Ford Coppola himself as a director. And then because of that, she started watching just a ton of movies from the 1970s and became really obsessed with the sort of most famous directors of that time period, like Scorsese, LeMay, Spielberg, Coppola. And that got her really intrigued in the idea of making movies herself. So she mm. went on to receive her BFA in film and television from the Tisch School of the Arts at NYU. And then she got her M.A. in writing for stage and broadcast media from the Royal Central School of Speech and Drama in London. Amazing. So before getting into being actually a director, she worked as a grip and a camera assistant. And then she worked as a TV production assistant. Wow. And that job would place her on sets with Martin Scorsese, as, oh. well, as, <laughs> as well as Steve McQueen and Steven Soderbergh. Whoa, that's yeah. awesome. That is awesome. So like so many of the women that we research for this show, DaCosta has just a ton of tenacity. So oh, yeah. she wrote a script for a movie called Little Woods, which was one of 12 projects chosen for the 2015 Sundance Screenwriters and Directors Lab. But she needed to fund a short film version of it as sort of a proof of concept. Mm -hmm. And in order to do that, she went through Kickstarter and she got 72 backers and raised like $5,100, which Damn. was half of the budget, and then made this short. Awesome. And then she both wrote and directed Little Woods in 2016, the feature film. It's a crime thriller and it stars Tessa Thompson and Lily James. Mm -hmm. And it won the Nora Ephron Prize at the Turbaca Film Festival. And it got really oh, good reviews. That is so awesome. The degree of hustle that women directors have to do. I know all up and coming directors have to do some degree of hustle, but there's just less opportunities waiting for them. So yeah. everything that they do pretty much has to be made by them. Yeah. It's always so impressive. I know I always say that, but I just, it's just reinforced every time we do this. I know. I know. I totally agree. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that she talks about in a lot of her interviews is about including diversity in her movies. Mm -hmm. And in an interview with IndieWire about Little Woods, she said, 
I just want to tell good stories in ways that will shine light on lives rarely seen on screen because stories can push humanity forward. And so I so think true. a diversity of stories is really important in raising awareness and creating empathy. It's through this medium of film that many of us learn about and communicate with one another, especially people we don't know. I mean, I always say that t- movies are empathy machines, right? Yeah. Because the way that they function is to put you in the shoes and behind the eyes of a person who is not you. Yeah. The problem exactly. is, is also all too often those those shoes and eyes are a little too close to home, right? So you don't <laughs> get the opportunities to really expand your empathy. So that's, I mean, it's just one of the many, many reasons having diverse voices, women, people of color, queer gender nonconforming, like all of those things are so, so important because all of those perspectives are so enriching. Yeah. I mean, especially because there are places where you can live where you might never come in contact with people like that. And the only way that you get that exposure is through film, movies, social media, stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. And I think when we get into our review, we're going to talk about um, oh, yeah. having those different perspectives, what kind of uh, content you end up with at the end. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. We'll do some comparison. Some compare and contrast. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> so after directing Little Woods, she was in England directing episodes of a crime TV series called Top Boy when she found out she was on the shortlist to direct Candyman. So awesome. she immediately flew to L.A. to pitch Jordan Peele. And Peel ended up loving her interpretation, and she ended up co-writing the script with Peel and Wynne Rosenfeld. And Peel had actually acquired the rights to the film shortly after his success with Get Out, so he had been meaning to make this for a little while. So the biggest thing that DaCosta wanted to do with this movie was shift the point of view, which you just alluded to. (laughs) This is something we're definitely going to talk about. Oh, yes. (laughs) Yes. So... In the original, we get the perspective of a white woman who's an outsider, but DaCosta wanted to make the new film from a black perspective and even from Candyman's point of view. Mm -hmm. She was a fan of the original when she was a kid because she loved scary movies. But when she got older, she fell in love really with the artistry of the film and how weird it was. And she said Mm -hmm. when she watched it as an adult, she realized it wasn't really the movie she thought it was when she was younger, which I think Mm -hmm. maybe is part of why she wanted to remake it so much. So the new Candyman that we're going to be talking about today is a spiritual sequel to the original 1992 version. There were other sequels made after it. I mean... (laughs) Is it? I feel like spiritual sequel is production spin to try to avoid spoilers. Yeah. They don't want to stay it's a, you know, it's a sequel because of a very particular plot point, which to be fair, was spoiled in the very first trailer. But Oh no, I never watched any of the trailers, so I didn't get that. Oh, oh lucky sad. you. Lucky you. But yeah, I mean, this thing is, I don't consider it to be a spiritual side. It's a sequel. It's yeah. a sequel <laughs> in the way that Halloween t- 2018 is a sequel where they're just like, I don't worry about this. There's no Celtic right. rune stuff. Do, 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 yeah, they, I mean, it's just getting rid of the subsequent sequels, but it's a sequel to the original yeah. in that which is a, the which plot is something I really like. Connect. Yeah, I, this is a trend I'm really enjoying. Anywho. So part of the movie focuses on the art world, and DaCosta said that she pulled some of that from her own personal experiences, both as somebody who works in the film industry and as a woman. So she said that she has actually told people stories about her childhood and then immediately had them tell her that she should make a movie out of it. So she would say something maybe that happened in her past that was sad or a bit traumatic, and the immediate response was, how can you capitalize on that? 
And that's something that I think we'll talk about in relation to one of the characters in the movie and how oh, yeah, things that happen to them in the art world. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Got it. That is, a, I mean, it's an, it, yes, we're definitely going to talk about it because it's a little bit of an outlier of a scene and I, I yes. it stood out to me and this contextualizes it in a way that I'm like, aha. Yeah. Okay. That's the significance of this scene. Yeah, so I'll, we can go into more detail when we get into the spoiler talk, but in an interview with The Guardian, she said that not only has that happened to her, but she's also experienced a fair amount of racism on set. I bet. She said, <laughs> yeah, she said, quote, it's not necessarily overtly racist, but it is shocking the way people have talked to me in my position as a director. People who work for me, especially on a movie like this, where Jordan was the only other person of color at the level of decision making on the movie. And that's unacceptable, frankly. She said that there were crass comments about black hair. And she talked about a time where she was outside waiting for her assistant one night. And a white male crew member jokingly asked if she was cooking to make money on the side. What the fuck? Yeah. I hope his ass got fired. See, this is why you have the no assholes rule on set. Yeah. Because that is unacceptable. 100%. I would never say that to my coworkers. You know what right? I mean? Like, No, never. That would never come out of my mouth. Ever. Gross. Gross. Yeah. That is such a weird power move. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, you think you're the director? Watch me make you feel small. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Ooh. All right, Nia, tell me who it is. I'm going to go slash his tires. <laughs> slashy, slashy. So she said in that same interview, quote, that happened to me so many times with people who work above me, who work laterally to me, below me. In the moment, you're just like, push on. You just deal with it. But in retrospect, I will never do that again. Good for you. Yeah. Good yeah. for you. Fuck that. Fuck that. Good for you. So I have a couple more quotes from her that I will hopefully remember to talk about when we get into spoiler talk <laughs> <laughs> that I also found to be really interesting, but I think will maybe give away some of the plot points. So Candyman was supposed to be released, as we mentioned before, in June of 2020. I think it was maybe even supposed to be released before that that they talked about, mm-hmm. but that was it's <laughs> that was sort of one of the main release dates. We got we kept getting told June of 2020, and then of course because of the pandemic. It got postponed. So then it was supposed to be September 25th, 2020. But again, it got postponed over and over again because of the pandemic. But it was finally released in theaters on August 27th of this year. So reportedly, it cost $25 million to make Candyman. And it made $20.4 million in its opening weekend, which made DaCosta the first black woman to debut number one at the box office. Oh, that's so awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it is very, very cool. I can't believe that it's 2021 and it's the first time it's happening, but it's pretty amazing. That is really cool. You know, it's such a crazy year. We have all of these real like heavy hitter franchises coming. We had a new James Wan. We had a new Conjuring. We had a new Quiet Place. All of these things that everybody was really excited about and like a totally unpredictable box office, right? Depending on which model they use and the interest that people have and access people have. It's so hard to tell what a movie is going to do well. Yeah. So that's really that makes it even more exciting in my opinion. Oh, yeah. I mean, the fact that it made that much money during a pandemic where not everybody Mm -hmm. felt comfortable going to the theater is pretty remarkable. I mean, it's the movie that almost got me into a theater. Right. (laughs) I was I was looking at buying tickets and then you ended Uh up taking that one. You ended up taking that one for the team. But I was going to do it. 
I was going to watch my first, aside from the time I rented an entire theater, my first pandemic movie. That's how much I wanted to see this movie. And apparently I was not alone. (laughs) So she is currently in London shooting the Marvels, which is the sequel to Captain Marvel. That's right. And it has Keanu Paris in it. It sure That's does. so exciting. I know. And it has a budget of over $100 million. I feel like we need to insert the like the... <laughs> the thing we're always fucking talking about. <laughs> I know. It's amazing. It's so cool. I'm just... I'm so impressed by her and the fact that she was able to do this and that it, she found so much success from it. It's so great. And a $100 million budget for a movie. I mean, that just must be amazing. And this makes her the first black woman to direct a Marvel movie. That's so, so awesome. Obviously, it's not my success, but I'd love to see it. I just love to see it. It just makes my, it just tickles my heart. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> so if people don't know what the Marvels is, it's the sequel to Captain Marvel, but it also will introduce mainstream cinema's first Muslim superhero, Pakistani-American Kamala Khan, a.k.a. Miss Marvel. Yes, that's right. That's right. That's so cool. And then obviously I love love Brie Larson so much, so I'm so excited that it's getting a sequel. Yeah. So one of the things that this movie, Candyman, deals with that I'm sure we'll talk about is the idea of sort of capitalizing, like I was saying before, on tragedy in the Black community and pain. So mm-hmm. one of the things that DaCosta said in an inter- that interview with The Guardian about the new Marvel movie is, quote, we should be able to make different kinds of movies. So I'm really happy I got to make the Marvels because it's like I genuinely can just make a movie that doesn't have to traffic in black pain. And I feel like yes. a lot of black filmmakers are asked to or expected to do that. Yes. We will talk about that. Yes. <laughs> Okay, so The Marvels is set to be released November 11th of 2022. And the only other thing that I could find out that she's been doing is that it's also announced that she's attached to direct a TV series called The Lincoln Conspiracy. And apparently it's based on a book about the little known but true story of a secret society and their failed assassination attempt on Abraham Lincoln. Whoa, interesting. Yeah, so there's very little information about it other than she's attached to direct and no word yet when it will come out. But yeah, that's what I got. I have a feeling she is at the beginning of a fascinating career. Oh, I agree. I agree. I hope that she comes back to horror at some point, but Uh I'm very excited to see anything that she does, really. Yeah. I wanted to have all the success in all the genres, but I agree. Yeah. Come on back. Come back. <laughs> You're good at it. You can do it. Come on. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. That was so interesting. Thank you so much, Ariel. I can't wait to hear what the extra quotes are. Bonus quotes. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Okay. So let's talk about our thoughts on the movie in a non-plot spoilery way. Do you want to go first or do you want me to go first? No, go for it. Okay. So... I have a little secret. Mm-hmm. As I mentioned, I only watched the first teaser. And in that first teaser, you have not watched it, so you don't know. The only bees that we see are the ones in the, the high school bathroom. Okay. That's, I don't think that's a spoiler to say that something takes place in a high school bathroom. No. You tell me. Or the bees are okay. in the movie Candyman. I mean, I think everybody right. expects bees. <laughs> and I saw the bees. And Ariel, I got worried. 
Oh, no. <laughs> I got, got worried. I had just recently rewatched the original Candyman, and it is famously, it's famous for having actual bees. Do you know yes. this? Okay. Yeah. So he, there's a whole thing about how he got like pursing. He got a bee. Yes. Okay. <laughs> so when I saw the bees and that they were CG, I got mm-hmm. worried. Yeah. I got real worried. Because here's the thing. I want to love this movie so much. I am invested in this movie being good because A, even though there's some shit we're going to talk about with the original, I do have a, I do love that movie. Mm-hmm. And here it is. Woman directed a win for womankind right and so i i want to love it i want it to be good so bad but i saw those cgibs and i was (laughs) i understand so it is with great delight (laughs) i tell you (laughs) that this movie despite that one scene of cgibs is pretty damn great Yay! Oh, I'm so glad you made me a little nervous there. <laughs> I see. I here's the thing: you had no idea how worried I was, did you? No. This I has no been clue. my this has been my secret worry for two years. Oh my gosh! The one mitigating fact was they kept pushing it. They never just gave up and threw it on VOD. And right. I was like, they know they have something good mm-hmm. here, even with those CGIBs. They are not holding out because it's, they think it's gonna flop. They think they have something. And so those are the two things warring in my head for two years <laughs> that I, I'm just now disclosing for the first time. <laughs> so, so, as funny. I said, I really love it. And I really love the original. But as I'm sure we're going to talk about when we talk more about themes and stuff, is that it is a movie that while it is really well made and has a lot of things I love about it, there are just as many things that have not aged very well. Right. You know, they are it's a movie that is both a product of its time and a product of being written and directed by a white dude based on a story written by a white dude. Right. Right. Right? I mean, obviously, and transplanted into an American setting and co-opting an American kind of social issue. Right. So it is one of those well-intended missing of the mark situations in a lot of places. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's super weird, too, because on the one hand, it actually does a pretty good job of dealing with issues of how women were treated at the time. Yes. While at the same time, completely overlooking the fact that they had a story about a black community and a poor community being like infiltrated by this white woman and the entire story is about her. Ariel, there is a scene where Virginia (laughs) Madsen, modern day... Marilyn Monroe okay (laughs) explains to her classmate her grad school classmate a black woman about racism and how yeah it sure does (laughs) gentrification and systematic issues with housing she explains it to her friend who all as I was watching it I was just imagining the thought bubbles that are popping up in her head and I, I mean I feel like this could still absolutely be written today because there's a lot of dummies out there. I mean, I'm a dummy about things too. We're all dummies, right? Mm-hmm. Sure. But I, but it also felt like this one feels so egregious. Yeah. <laughs> but hopefully it would not get written this way. So that's <laughs> what I'm saying. But it has its problems. So when I heard that it was being remade by Nia Costa and produced by Jordan Peele, I was like, yes, 
Yes, yes, yes, yes. I hope they can take everything that is great about the original film and then fix the super problematic stuff, which I haven't even, I have not even touched on the most problematic stuff, but Mm -hmm. I'm saving it for spoilers, right? And and I think they really nailed that, right? They did it in big ways thematically and the fact that it centers around people of color telling their own stories. I think they did it in smaller, subtle ways about who is on the end of violence and how yeah. violence is depicted in the movie. These are things that I think come from understanding what it is to be re-traumatized by watching violence against Black people over and over and over and over again. Yep. So as I'm saying, these are subtle things that maybe you don't pick up on the first time, particularly if that is not your lived experience, right? And I honestly think this movie is that thing that I had hoped it would be and that it was still in this universe, still canon, but with a modern necessary change in perspective. Mm-hmm. I think it's scary. I think it's brutal. And I think what it has to say is really powerful. And on top of that, on top of all of that, I think DaCosta herself has an incredible talent for building atmosphere. I look at her style and I, I, I feel like we're going to watch a signature style emerge because I thought the way that she shoots things is incredibly artistic and interesting. The way she uses architecture is really cool. Yeah, And there's also a sense of humor to her direction. It's a subtle kind of the way that she shoots things and the way that uh, you know, we'll get into it more when we get more into specifics. But I think, yeah, she she has a real artistic and unique voice. And so that's really cool. And so I guess in short, Ratu Wrap Up, it's great. Y'all should see it if you haven't already. It's on VOD. <laughs> It's it's worth the, if it's I can't remember what the price is at this point, but if it's still premium VOD, it's like actually really worth the price of admission. So like oh, throw some yes. money at it. All right, what about you? Non spoilery thoughts. I hope I didn't steal all. Of that. No, no, <laughs> okay. no, it's fine. Okay. I mean, you covered you covered most of it. I think that you're totally right on, and I too love this movie. I got to see it in the theater, and I wish I had been able to see it in a packed house because I think that would have been yeah. really fun. But just seeing it on the big screen was really, really great. And it was just exciting, like you were saying, after all this time to finally have this movie come out. And I was not nervous about bees because I didn't know about the CGI bee thing. Lucky you. (laughs) (laughs) But I was nervous about how they would handle it because, Mm -hmm. like we were saying, there are some problematic things, but there are also some really great things about the original. And I wanted to make sure those were left intact. You know what I mean? So... I was a little bit nervous and I was pleasantly surprised at how good this movie is. And on top of the fact that it does a good job in covering these really intense themes and issues, it also is just a lot of fun. It's yeah. so much fun. There yeah. is some great body horror in this one. Oh my there God. are genuinely chilling scenes. The way that this director uses reflection and mirrors mm-hmm. is so cool. And I know we'll talk a lot about that. There are hidden scares and the background of things that actually got to me, you know, and I just really enjoyed how the mythology that was created in the original was expanded in really interesting thought provoking ways. And I'm super excited to talk about that part of it too. So Mm -hmm. yeah, just go see this movie. It's freaking fantastic. Yep. Absolutely. Oh, I'm so glad you liked it too. So I, 
you were recently on Bloody Good Whore where you've talked about this movie and I got yes. to listen to the beginning and I got to listen to the end, but I didn't get to listen <laughs> to all of your thoughts about the movie. So I am really excited to hear. I got to go back and finish listening to that episode now. I'm really excited to get to talk about this with you. I hope you're not burned out talking about it yet. <laughs> no, no, actually I have been looking forward to this because one, I wanted to hear what you thought about the movie because we couldn't talk about it because you hadn't seen right. it. And right. then also because it's a big group on Bloody Good Horror, I didn't get to say everything about what I right. thought about the movie. So this will be yeah. nice. I know. You have to share the time. It's so annoying. <laughs> 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 totally kidding. Obviously, it's super fun. I'm just, yeah. you know me. I'm a chatty Kathy. I have things to say. <laughs> and I have to edit myself. <laughs> I'm like, okay, right. I've got 17 points and three of them are good. How many of them can I get in? <laughs> can I get 16? <laughs> can I get 15? Uh, yeah. Yep, 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 yep. Okay, so this is your spoiler warning. You now know that you should watch this movie. Some of the major plot points, if you even watched a single trailer, have already been spoiled for you, I'm sad to report. But I would say if you are not spoiled on this movie, just go ahead and watch it and come back. Yeah. This is one of those ones where I think just the colder you go in, the better. Mm-hmm. But if you don't mind spoilers, stick around because I got things to say about everything and questions about the <laughs> end that I'm hoping Ariel will have some insight oh, on. Oh, God. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I just, I was like, what does that mean? And so I'm gonna, oh, okay. I figured okay. I would ask you. Anyway, so you have now had time to find your phone, hit the old pause. So <laughs> we are speeding slowly into the <laughs> into the spoiler zone and we have arrived okay let's get into this <laughs> synopsis yeah. all right all right so the movie begins in the 1970s with this young boy encountering Candyman coming out of the wall which of course i was like and i'm in mm-hmm. and he screams we don't see the aftermath but we do later very upsetting yes it all is. right from there, we flash forward to a future where Anthony and his girlfriend, Brianna, are living their best artist life in a newly gentrified Cabrini Green. When Anthony, he's an artist, but he's experiencing writer's block, learns about the legend of Candyman, he thinks it might be the answer to his problem. So he begins investigating. And as we learned in the first movie, if you go looking for Candyman, there's a good chance you're going to find him and it's going to be a bummer. So with the help of the local laundromat owner, Burke, he begins to find out more about the history of Helen Lyle as well as of Candyman. And that it turns out is a bit more complicated than we learned in the first movie, which we'll talk about. I want to know your thoughts on that. So he takes this story and he starts using it as art. And in the process, he, oops, unleashes Candyman again. He also begins to change physically. <laughs> He oh, starts yeah, transforming, he <laughs> which I was like, I was not expecting a fly narrative in this, but okay. <laughs> which leads him through various investigations to discover that this is not his first time. He his first brush with Candyman. He twisty twist, which is unfortunately spoiled in the first trailer, is the child who was kidnapped in the first film, and he was Candy's chosen one, who is now find him again. Unfortunately for our Anthony, he is also being set up by Burke, who turns out was the kid from the very beginning who wants to unleash Candyman again. In the end, he is sadly successful and Anthony is transformed into the new Candyman. This time, though, Candyman is ready to seek bloody justice against racial oppression. 
end of yeah. movie. Although God, oh, that yeah. ending, that oh, ending, yeah. I was like, between this and and Malignant, I was just like, okay, Hollywood is full a cab at this point. <laughs> <laughs> they are it's just like, great. we're done with the police. <laughs> yeah, I'm here Wild. for it. <laughs> I mean, I just needed Candyman to throw a chair. <laughs> <laughs> So, like I said at the beginning, I feel like I think we can't really talk about what is successful about this movie without at least kind of going over some of the most problematic aspects of the original Candyman. Which, yeah. again, I want to say I really like that movie. I can have a critical opinion and still like it. But it does – because, I mean, honestly, it doesn't – it's worthy of critique. It's a mm-hmm. really great movie, but it also has some problems in it. So, obviously, yeah, we've talked about the white splaining, which is – Hard to watch. Mm, I yeah. definitely think the first one is very ambivalent about violence against black people. And it is not a race it it is not a racial justice movie. It is a no. ghost story that references racial justice. Right. It uses the need for racial justice as a backdrop to tell this other story, which is not great. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting, and it's certainly a a gateway to a conversation that maybe we were not have we definitely were not having that at that time and are still not properly having now right but worst of all at its core it is about the ghost of a black man who is romantically predatory towards a white woman Mm, it's a really bad stereotype that we need like Uh, yeah it's it's a little hard to watch in 2021 it sure is i had not seen the original Candyman since i was probably a teenager and so i rewatched it before watching the new one and there was a lot of stuff I did not remember <laughs> about yeah. it. Yeah, I remember it as being much more of a slasher and not this weird psychosexual stuff between Helen Lyle and Candyman. Mm-hmm. It's it's not great. It's uncomfortable. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's definitely more in the vein of like a Dracula, right? Like a Dracula situation. Yes, absolutely. Which on that level, I think it really works. But I think the problem is, is when you start bringing in his history and all of the economic and racial aspects of the backdrop of this movie, it forces you to contextualize it in a very specific and problematic way. There's kind of no way to unsee it once you see it. (laughs) And I think, again, but we're not talking about that movie today. This movie, like I said, does what I wanted, which was to take all of the cool stuff from that movie and then change all that problematic stuff. Mm -hmm. So instead, we center on Black people who get to tell their own story, who have full lives who have actual narratives all of these impacts that we see by them or we see in the first movie are discussed by people who that is their lived experience or part of something that impacts their community directly which i think is so important and totally puts a different lens on it right there is this dialogue at one point between him and that awful art critic where she makes the comments about it's people like you who ha- caused oh. gentrification and you're just like bitch and then she yeah. like smirkily Walks says artist but i was like <laughs> yeah. you know what the fuck you know you exactly said. what you said and why oh, you said it oh, that is not a microaggression that is a no. macroaggression so i did yeah. not feel bad when she got it in the but I also think, and this is something that you were talking about with Nia DaCosta talking about racial violence. Um, mm-hmm. And I think the best, one of the best things about this is the way that it handles racial violence. One of the things that it does is that it does not spend a lot of time until the 
final act of this movie, all of the violence, I don't know if you notice this, but it is all focused on non-POC. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, I definitely There's an Asian that. girl in the bathroom who runs out before the final candy no. man. I was like, get out, girl. Smart, You're smart. smart. <laughs> yeah. Right? And and when we get to that final scene where the police shoot Anthony, that this movie has been totally unflinching in its depiction of violence until this point. I mean, that heel hook. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Oh, damn. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> it does not show that. And it and to me, I was like, this is an incredibly subtle recognition of the fact that seeing police violence against black men is re-traumatizing for the audience for a portion of the audience and i think that is it's an unnecessary shot we don't need it i don't know that if another person directed it we would we would not have seen it you know what i mean i agree because so often it's like you want to make sure that you have like every bit of violence can be on screen to impact mm-hmm. the audience but i think that this was such a smart choice and i want to read you this quote from an interview with da costa with the la times specifically mm-hmm. about why she didn't show some of this stuff. Oh, good, good. Yes, yes, yes. So she said, quote, because this movie is about racial violence and specifically police violence against black people, I knew Mm -hmm. that was something I didn't want to show because we Mm -hmm. see so much of it. And because it's horror and not drama, I think there has to be a very specific line between dealing with real life things and appealing to the genre. I'm not against it wholesale, but I hate when I see it in that context. That of course makes perfect sense. That makes yeah. Perfect so sense. clearly, this was something that she talked to, uh, that she thought about and really intentionally did not want to show that scene. Because you're right, there are some great gory kills mm-hmm. in this movie, and nothing there are was times... sacrificed on that front. Nothing was sacrificed. <laughs> no, on that nothing front. was sacrificed. You get all of that, and she does a great job of showing things and not showing things in a way that keeps you captivated. And you definitely did not need to see Anthony be shot by the police to understand the impact of what happened and exactly what happened, like what physically Uh, happened to him. You didn't need to see that. And you see, I was just so relieved. She wasn't, I was so relieved that she didn't get shot. That would have, I that would have turned the movie for me a little bit. Like I don't know. I don't. It would oh, have if they had broken both my been heart. killed. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. It's just. The, I mean, we'll. T- I'm sure we'll talk about the ending more when we get to that. But the violence in this movie is just handled so smartly. Mm-hmm. And I do think that you're right that in lesser hands and in somebody who wasn't a person of color, it might have been handled or probably would have been handled really differently. And I think her sensitivity there was super smart and didn't detract from it being a horror movie and a violent one at that. Oh, yeah. No shortage of gore. Yeah. I mean, I was thinking a lot about the criticism around that series, Them. Did you watch that? I did not watch it because Matilda had sort of intimated that it was an incredibly difficult watch and maybe didn't say enough to be worth going through the experience. My understanding, because like you, I was warned off of by Matilda, but I also, you know, watched a lot of discourse mm-hmm. about it around it. And there was a lot of like, as a person of color, I am fatigued with watching black suffering. Yeah. Like it, it feels, this feels exploitative. Mm-hmm. And that was actually made by people of color. So, I mean, I'm not going to criticize it. I, <laughs> not my place. Right. But I do think that it's good that there is space in this kind of narrative where People who would have that re-traumatized experience can actually go and enjoy this movie without. Right. Yeah. You can have this kind of story without 
that experience at the end of it. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's absolutely. Cool. I mean, it's something that was great about Get Out, right? There's a version yes. of that movie that does not end the way it does. Right. And that movie does such a great job, too, of giving you catharsis without yes. showing you a traumatic ending. Right. And I think sometimes we need to not have that traumatic mm-hmm. ending. Yeah. Anyways. It's tricky because I don't want to be like, this is what we need. Like, but I mean, just as an audience member, I did not want to see anything. Ha- I was like, protect Brianna at all costs. Right. Don't make me reach through the screen movie. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll just leave it as that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I just think I loved the use of mirrors as a motif specifically around this idea that, you know, obviously that's a part of the mythology of Candyman, but it's also about reflection, right? Yes. And this movie is totally about, you know, the other kind of reflection. Reflecting on gentrification and racial justice and police violence. I mean, this movie leads you to a place of reflection, particularly the way that the credits are all about telling just this generational trauma of all of these Candyman being made. It makes you reflect on it. Yeah. And again, it's a great symbol, but it also works so well as a horror movie because of that. Oh, I mean, yeah. <laughs> there, maybe we can talk about it now, but there are some really intense, great scenes with the use of mirrors. Oh, yeah, I mean, yeah. Let's talk about it. Okay. So I have a couple that are sort of my favorites. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So one is the scene where he is in that reflective glass elevator. And yes. when he sees Candyman on the ceiling after mm. the blood drips on him, mm. ooh, I, I did a little jump. Mm, mm, mm. <laughs> it's so good. And part of it is because the actor himself seems so terrified. Yeah. And if you seem really terrified, if I believe that, I feel it to my core then as an mm-hmm. audience member. And mm-hmm. he does a terrific job of selling it. Yeah. So. That scene is fantastic. Another really great one is the bathroom scene you sort of talked about a little Mm -hmm. bit earlier. I love that scene for a couple of reasons. First is because you actually don't see much of the violence Uh -uh. happen. You're just seeing blood splattering and people shrieking and things like that, which is so cool because a lot of horror directors, I think, sometimes forget how chilling it can be when you don't see everything, you know? When the blood just starts Pouring underneath oh, in a the sheet. Shawl. Oh, yeah. Because it's so much blood. It's, it's really good. So much blood. And it's real, too. I mean, not real blood, but you know what I mean? But it's not it's CGI the, blood. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> Practical scene. blood. Yeah. Yes, yeah. Totally. And then the other part of that scene that I really love is that there's a part where one of the young women is looking from under the stall of the bathroom and she sees the killing happen through a compact mirror that got dropped on the floor. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's Mm -hmm. really good because, again, it's such a small mirror that you don't see everything. But the only way in this movie that you actually see Candyman is in reflections until the very end. Right. Mm hmm. And so it's so cool to get little glimpses of him that way. Yeah. It's so good. The other one that I really, really love, and we probably should talk about this entire scene, but when Anthony goes to the art critic's apartment. Oh, my good. First of all, (laughs) this apartment, she's terrible. Her apartment is amazing. (laughs) She's the worst. It is amazing. This whole set piece from beginning to end is perfection. It, it is, is so perfection. good. 
from the the tracking shot following him yes. into the apartment around that loop mm-hmm. deeper and deeper into the inter- inner sanctum. This is what I'm talking about when I talk about her incredible artistic eye as a director. It's beautiful. Yeah. It, it, she uses architecture like this building. And then when she, we go to that museum in New York, she yeah. uses the architecture to kind of reinforce this idea of spiraling that is fascinating. And uh, I just I loved this. But sorry, you please. I totally. Yeah, no, no. I got excited because it's one of my favorite scenes. (laughs) It's it's so great. And we'll we'll talk about the end of that scene. But, you know, she also uses these amazing glass windows. Yes. They're like a full wall of glass. So what I love about this, we'll get to the reflection part because I think that part is fantastic when he's in the hallway. But the scene where he sits down with this art critic is also so great because you know, mm-hmm. she made that horrible comment earlier mm-hmm. about mm-hmm. artists being the reason why gentrification happens, which is such a stretch and such bullshit and was clearly said to hurt him, right? Trash. She's trash. She, yeah, she's total trash. But he gets a chance to basically set her straight. <laughs> like That's not why gentrification mm-hmm. happens. And what I one of the things I love is this idea of his art piece being about say his name. Mm-hmm. And he says that in that scene, right yes. after he explains to her about gentrification. And I have a feeling because I, I mean, I think everybody's probably talking about this is the fact that, you know, Nia DaCosta meant that to have two meanings, yes. right? I mean, it's clearly about Candyman and, you know, saying his name five times, but also talking about the George Floyd protests and Absolutely. why we need to remember that the police are constantly killing black men, Right. Yeah, And the fact that he gets to say that to a white woman, I think, was intentional and pointed. I, I definitely want to talk to you about the idea that, say, his name is something that only happens after someone dies. Right. And there's something about him getting recognition while he's alive and seeing his name on the news while he's still alive that I think yeah. is interesting. I haven't totally parsed it. I've mm-hmm. been kind of sitting with this say, your, say his name thing because I kind of feel like... I'm not, there's two messages that are happening around that. And I'm not really sure where I land on it. So I don't know if you have thoughts about that. I mean, I don't know that I have thoughts about it more than what I've just been saying. Because I I do think that there is another level there, but I don't think I've necessarily gotten to all of it too. I do love that scene though, where he finds out that his, when he hears it on the news and his name being said, the actor's name I think is... Yahya Abdul-Mateen II, mm-hmm. and he is so good in this movie. And his and reactions so to when he's... Looking. Oh, my God. <laughs> I mean, this is not the first time I've seen him. He no, was, but mm, he's, he's, he's very so handsome. good looking, and he yeah. has a smile that just lights up his face. Yes. It's infectious. Yes. And in that scene, what I love is that it's inappropriate for him to be happy about this, right? Two people have just died and yet he can't help but smile. And he does this thing where he presses his lips together to try Mm -hmm. to force himself not to smile. Anyways, I just love these sort of subtle bits of acting that he does in this movie because he's really good at it. Yeah. And you know what he's feeling when he's doing that, you know? Yeah. Oh, it's so good. But anyways, so this scene with the art critic She then goes to the bathroom and he has this scene in the hallway where there's all of these mirrors, right? It's so reflective. And he's seeing Candyman. And Mm -hmm. at first he's scared and then realizes that it's him, right? Every time he moves, the Candyman reflection moves. 
And it is so creepy. It's so good and so yes. chilling as he's putting together the pieces in his head and realizing what's happening. Oh, I love that scene. And then, of course, the death scene, which yeah. is so. And this is, again, comes back to DaCosta's direction. Mm-hmm. I love this. He leaves. He's he's un he's you know, so he does not witness what unfolds. Right. But we get to watch as there's this slow zoom out her being thrown around the room. It's just such a. It's great. It's a unique way to present this type of thing. This movie has, I don't know, like a dozen really memorable shots in it. And this is definitely near the top of that, where instead of being in the room, we witness it from the outside while watching him kind of escape the scene, right? It's something that's happening simultaneously on screen. It's just really, really cool direction, I think. Yeah, it is really cool. And I especially because you get the feeling at that point that he's turning into Candyman. Right. But they're not one in the same because he leaves and Candyman still murders this woman. And it's chilling mm-hmm. to watch it. Oh, it's so good. There's so many great things about this movie. Yeah, absolutely. A couple of other shots I want to talk about mm-hmm. were Obviously, I've talked a little bit about the museum. There is another slow zoom in that is really Mm. great where she's having the conversation with, I guess, the curator of the art of the museum. After we've seen this eye-shaped spiral that it's just such cool use of the architecture and like all of sort of like the modern art architecture in the, you know, I guess in Chicago and New York. It's just really, really cool. Another scene that really stood out to me was when he was at very first looking for Candyman and he gets to the church and he gets stung by the bee. Mm -hmm. He like smashes the bee and falls off. And then you see all of the ants crawling on it. I thought it was like a really cool foreshadowing because it looked like all of the police killing Candyman. Oh, damn. Right? Yeah, That's what it looks I didn't like. Think about it that way, but all of right. these big black ants look like police uniforms killing Candyman. Just good foreshadowing. Just really cool direction. And like I said, there's just a handful of scenes where I was just like, this is a feast for my eyeballs and I'm very delighted to be enjoying it. Yeah. So I read you the quote already when I was doing the production okay. notes about the art scene, but I do think we should talk about that because. Yeah. It really stood out to me. Yeah. I think the thing of it is, is that Anthony doesn't have any real success in the art world until these two people are killed essentially in front of his art piece. Mm-hmm. So when he goes to that art critic's apartment, she has no interest in his work and, you know, is an asshole to him until his art has some proximity to violence. Mm-hmm. Right. And when Brianna goes to meet with that art curator woman at the museum in the scene you were just talking about, The same thing is kind of true there, where she finds out in that scene that this woman is only really interested in her because, one, she works with Anthony, and two, because of her own proximity to violence and that her father had killed himself. Interesting. Right. And so I think what is trying to be said here is that we have a tendency as a society (laughs) to get wrapped up in this idea that these artists can only be successful because of their proximity to tragedy and pain, right? Suffering. People of color have Mm -hmm. to suffer and we get to enjoy the sort of fruits of that, right? Interesting. We only give them a platform so long as they're willing to capitalize on their trauma and like the director said, black pain in that quote. That ties to something Burke says later that I thought was horrifyingly true. (laughs) (laughs) Which is that, you know, white people 
love what we make, but they don't love us. Yeah. So it's interesting, but it's interesting because she's having that conversation with another person of color. But yeah, I think that those things are all kind of like, like this commodification of black suffering. Exactly. It's a thing. It's a thing. And that's why I'm saying these are the kinds of themes and ideas that are explored because I think of who is behind the camera and who is behind the production and the writing. And, and I think, remember we were talking about empathy machines. We got a front row seat to an opportunity for a deeper understanding and empathy in these moments that I think is super, super cool, especially because it's in this really great, fun popcorn horror film. You know, it's like that. It really, this movie really is kind of both things. It has a lot of the things I love about art house horror and social commentary horror, but it also is just kind of a great slasher. Yeah, it totally is. Absolutely. Mm hmm. And it yeah. is gruesome. <laughs> Holy shit. I mean, you were talking about that Achilles heel scene Ooh. where he hooks the heel. Oh, damn. That's Ooh. rough. <laughs> the other one that got me was the final scene when Anthony, when they sawed his arm off. Oh, yeah. I was like, I, mean, I am leaving my body. Right? Bye. <laughs> that one's especially <laughs> effective because... Usually when you have a scene like that, the person is screaming in pain. And the fact that he's not, I think, oh. makes it more upsetting. Then he almost. gets out that meat hook. Oh. And just jams it in there. I thought he was going to strap it to the arm. No. I did not know he was going to jam it into the no. cut up flesh. No. Oh, no. But I mean, this is what I'm saying. <laughs> like yeah. it's, it's all the things you want with that delicious vitamin at the center, you know? Right, right. And it's got great body horror, too. Anthony Ooh, goes through horror. this transformation where this bee sting, the first time he goes to investigate Cabrini Green, he gets stung by a bee like you were talking about. And then it starts to infect his hand. And then we get to see him picking at the scab. Oh my god! When he's pulling, gooeyness. it is Ooh. it is so Brundle fly. I can't even. It's a Brundle bee. He is Brundle yeah. bee. <laughs> he's Brundle bee. Uh, <laughs> that's great. And then it's climbing up his arm and oh his my neck god. and his. When it's face. on his face, forget about it. When it turns into honeycomb. Oh my god! I mean, that's genius. I'm sorry, it is. that's genius. Yeah, it's super smart. It's very smart filmmaking, and it looks really cool. And I love the practical effects of it. You know, yeah, it's ooey gooey and disgusting. And I also, in a lot of movies, I'm like, why the fuck is nobody paying attention to the fact that this guy's arm is gangrenous and like about I mean, to it's fall? All off? I could see, it would be all I could see. I would, I. I when that woman's like, don't, no, uh, don't, careful, don't do that. Careful. <laughs> right. But in this movie, people do kind of talk about it. And yeah. you know that the reason he's not really dealing with it is because it's infecting his mind too. Right. right. He's changing. Well, I mean, yeah. I mean, it's a physical manifestation yes, of what is exactly. happening internally. And right. it makes for great body horror. But it also, because he's a little opaque in terms of his character, I'm grateful to have the visual cue of what mm-hmm. is happening with Anthony. Right. I have like 9,000 more things to say, but I know we're getting close to our end time. So okay. can I just list them off really yeah, fast and rapid yeah, succession? So we need to talk about the sound design of this movie. <laughs> if you think it's yeah. gruesome what you're seeing, you sh- it's what you're hearing that is even more intense. Right. All of the wet noises, all of the the crackling and, and what is unseen in this movie because of the sound design is so amazing for example that bathroom scene when the girl is in the stall and she's just hearing what's unfolding and you just hear wet slashing gutting noises and and muffled screams it is 
I don't know that seeing it could have been worse. Yes. It is brutal and awesome. And I think that it is this combination of showing you things and withholding and that tension that really makes for a great effective horror film. You talked about sometimes the best things are the things you don't see. Right. There's also another woman in this movie that I need to talk about. Oh, okay. And that is Vanessa Williams, who plays Antony's mom. Uh, She was in the original trailer, which is why I knew it was a sequel. Okay, so I had not seen any of the trailers. I did not know she was going to be in this movie because I hadn't even looked at IMDb or anything. Mm -hmm. And so I was surprised. And I had just watched the new one. So I knew the Anthony thing. Like I knew the name was the same as the baby in the first one. But I was like, oh, shit. That's (laughs) her. That's where we're going. She's so good that she's in one scene. And Mm -hmm. she, I mean, the part where she does the little like clap and shake her head like we don't say his name. Honestly chilling so it's good it's chilling because you can see the fear written all over mm-mm, her mm-mm, face mm-mm. we don't oh. talk about that mm-mm. yeah so good she's amazing she feels like someone that experienced the trauma of the first movie yes yeah she also, really does can i just say that she does not look like she's aged i know it's, it's not fair it's not fair <laughs> she is so beautiful. it's not fair <laughs> <laughs> she's stunning yeah stunning. She is. but yeah fantastic actor and yes. also while we're talking about actors Nathan Stewart Jarrett as Brianna's oh my God. little Thank brother you. is yes. so good. He is Her, Him and his boyfriend are one of the best things about this movie. Oh, yeah. And the way that I love the scene where he's leaning over the counter and kind of swishing his butt back and forth and the camera focuses on it and then his sister makes a joke about it. Oh, it's so good. And he is so charming mm-hmm. and so funny. He gets mm-hmm. so many great lines. Mm-hmm. He helps out his sister in a way that feels really genuine and yes. also entertaining. When and he I comes think... back into the apartment and like, we are coming in <laughs> for her things. I was like, I love you. I know. He's so great. And I think that in lesser hands, both directorially and as the writer, mm-hmm. he could have been that gay best friend character. Yes. That stereotype. Yes. And he was not. He could have been the sassy gay black side character. And instead, like pretty much all the characters in this, he feels like a person. And yep. I definitely appreciate that because it is it is not great a lot of times. It right. is not great. Right. But he's fantastic. Yes. And his boyfriend was so cute. They were so cute. I wish they were a real I know. couple. <laughs> I know. <laughs> okay. So is there anything else that you loved about this movie that we did not get to touch on? So one of the other things that I really loved was how the mythology changed. We've talked about that a bit. But one of the cool things was that the way that they referenced Helen Lyle's story and mm. how that story has been changed over mm-hmm, the years mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. how also the original Candyman, the man who was hiding out in the walls, who would give out candy to children, how his story was changed over the years, too, to be something yeah. more sinister. So I think all of that is super interesting. And in that L.A. Times article, I just want to read you one more quote. Yes, please. So Nia DaCosta said, I think one of the most important things about Candyman is that he illustrates how we use stories to process trauma and Mm. also how to try to transmute trauma into something useful, whether it's for a movement or to enact the law. I think Candyman is about how we all use stories in different ways to our own ends and how that can also sometimes take away from the humanity of the person whose life was lost. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, I think that that's absolutely true. Yeah, I just loved reading all of these interviews because she is clearly super smart and also really thoughtful about Mm -hmm. how she made this movie. Mm -hmm. 
I always love that. I feel like it enriches my viewing experience mm-hmm. to know how much love and work and thought and passion yeah. went into a project. I mean, I already am a total fangirl of this movie quite clearly, but <laughs> right. it only improves that experience when you find out after the fact how much this project meant to someone like it's, a, I don't know. I love that. Yeah. Sometimes it'll elevate a movie that I'm like, eh, you know, that was okay. But when you get into what the person was thinking and what they were intending, it adds a layer of nuance to it that can retroactively make me like the movie even more. I didn't yeah, need I it totally for this agree. one, but that is a thing. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Any other positive things before we get into our cons? I mean, honestly, I could talk about this movie for another two I hours. Know, so it's really should. hard. It's really hard. I have 9,000 more notes on my page. So I'm going yeah, to move too. forward. Yes. <laughs> Just know that there were other things we liked. Okay. <laughs> So do you have any cons for this movie? So I have a couple of things. And these aren't big things. Again, I loved this movie. I I don't have a ton of critical stuff to say about it. But I I will say that there are some great subtle scenes in this movie. And I think that it works really well when it does this. I talked on the Bloody Good Horror podcast about the scene where Anthony sees a cop car when he's at Cabrini Green and he kind of jumps back to Mm -hmm. hide from it. Mm -hmm. And that's Mm -hmm. so great and so wonderful because he says nothing about it, but you understand exactly why he did what he did, Mm -hmm. right? What his experiences must be like in order Mm -hmm. for him to make that choice. And so when it's subtle like that, I think it works really well. I think there are a couple of scenes where sometimes the characters are just sort of saying the message out loud that it's sort of all text and no subtext. Mm. But I think alternately, it's possible that you needed that for everyone to understand the message of the movie. Right. Right. A lot of people who are watching this in the mainstream are not having these conversations. Right. Exactly. (laughs) And so maybe the way that I'm viewing it is, is different than the way somebody else would. And maybe they needed those scenes more, you know, so I understand why they were left in. The other thing is that I loved Coleman Domingo's character, Burke. Mm -hmm. I thought that Mm -hmm. he was really great. I don't know that I totally understood the scene in the church and his motivation. And maybe you can help me. I don't know if you got something more out of that. But it felt like a quick, like maybe we needed more build up to that. The Daenerys arc. Yeah. Uh Yeah. So I will say I think the performance is great. Yes. He goes from being this sort of warm, wise mentor character to being incredibly sinister. I think there's probably deeper thematic stuff that I'm not picking up on. Yeah. But I also think that there is an idea of he is deeply traumatized by Candy. Mm -hmm. He is deeply traumatized by the experience he had as a child, then seeing his sister and her friends killed. Yeah. And then also we know that he is a kid that is very aware about police violence because we have the scene. He's he's the puppet master, right? Quite literally the puppet master. So he's the puppet master of the the plot of this movie we find out in the end. But he's also the person that is making these these amazing paper puppets. And so I don't know if there's a message here about what happens when this kind of injustice and rage goes unpunished and wanting to right when you have to live with it for decades and decades yeah right that there is some degree of understandable rage Mm -hmm. right oh i don't yeah i mean that's true absolutely absolutely that's true but i'm wondering if that thematically is what's happening with him yeah you might but i do i do know what you mean in terms of the writing of it it happens so fast and it's treated like a twist but you're kind of like wow that was left 
left field. Yeah. But then you're exactly. so dazzle camouflage because he's like <laughs> hacking off limbs and shit. But you're oh, I absolutely mean, right. I mean, that's the, that's the thing is that scene is pretty fantastic because you get all that amazing body horror because the church looks so cool. It's a very good scene. I just watching it a second time, mm-hmm. I still wasn't finding the sort of breadcrumbs dropped to get me there. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I kind of feel like maybe I need to watch that scene again. Maybe not the sawing part, but when he's like, (laughs) we have a witness. Maybe that's the other thing is he's the only person that has seen this. Right. Because like he knows it's more than a fairy tale kind of Right, because he saw him after killing his sisters. He he was there when Candyman was made. I wonder if maybe he's also been living alone with this shit his whole life. Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't. That's a really good point. I don't know. I, I think that's it. Yeah. The thing I don't know is, does he know that Antony is Antony? Is it just a coincidence that there's some sort of larger force that just is drawing him in? And coincidentally, he's the person that becomes Burke's avatar to create the the Candyman. Is this is it a fate kind of thing? I that I, that information I don't have and feels a little like a plot hole. But yeah, the other thing is, and I this is more not just like a straight con, but something that's just been I've been thinking about Mm -hmm. is that this movie talks a lot about gentrification and how poor communities of color are underserved and then erased. There's a part of it that felt a little weird that that's the conversation we are having when all of our main characters are wealthy. Mm -hmm. The only character we have who isn't is Burke, who ends up becoming so affected by his trauma that he acts in this sort of violent way. I mean, there's an interesting tension there, right? Yeah, there is. But I mean, it's a tr- kind of a catch-22, though. You have to reckon with the fact that gentrification is a thing that you benefit from by being successful. You know what I mean? Like, is there... Yeah. I don't know. That's so, interesting. Yeah. And so on the one hand, I think that it feels a little weird to me. But on the other hand, for the ending... It does serve a purpose because mm-hmm. we understand that Brianna f- expects the police to help her, but that even though she's wealthy and even though she has a position of respect in the community, that, that mm-hmm. her job is respected, it means nothing. The cops True. only see the color of her skin and none of that gives her any power in the situation at all. Ugh, fucking that cop was. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> And then and then we get the slaughter. Okay. <laughs> All right. So if I'm nitpicking. Yeah. And I'm just going to pick because honestly, I don't have a lot of cons for this. I have two notes yeah. here and one of them is a nitpick. And that is, I feel like in comparison to Brianna and some of the other characters, Antony is a little underwritten. He's so opaque that we just don't understand his motivations in the same way that we did with someone like Brianna. We know what drives her, what her heart is like, her family, all of these things we understand. And in some ways, she kind of is the main character of this movie, Mm -hmm. even though he has more screen time. But And I think that comes back to this idea that he's so impenetrable. And I think it's fine for him to be a little selfish, to be a little not as likable. I think that's fine. I think it's important to be able to be that, you know? Yeah. But it made it harder for me to invest in him in this to the same degree that I did Brianna. Mm-hmm. I, I agree mean, with that. This is a yeah. nitpick. <laughs> yeah. And then the other one is more about a personal preference that I feel too, of two minds about. On one hand, I'm like, yes, this is great. I love it. On the other hand, I'm kind of like, Ooh, which is okay. the change from the original Candyman being singular 
to him being multiple. Oh, God. I, I can't believe we didn't talk about that at all. <laughs> I know. God. That's what I'm saying. I have 5,000 more things to fit, say. I know. I so, know like, about that. <laughs> I think thematically, I think it's really essential and important and it opens up a really important mm-hmm. and fascinating dialogue, right, about generational trauma and systemic racism and the way that something like yeah. Candyman back in the 1800s is still occurring today, right? I think all of that, and by showing all these multiple people, including the kid on the bike, the kid on the bike kills me. Fucking oh, kills God, me. I know. Someone, I, know. I saw some meme today that was about how Emmett Till would be 80 right now. He's like your grandparents' age. Like, this shit did not happen in back in the back, back, back. It's, it's This is still very much current history. But anyway, I love what she's saying with this. Mm-hmm. I think it's fantastic. And I ultimately land on in the pro. Okay. But there's this little part of me that just really loved the original Candyman yeah. mythology. I mean, he was the Candyman, right? right? He's this iconic. He's one of the top tier. Even though he really only had one. I mean, there's some sequels we won't talk about. But like that first one, <laughs> he yeah. made such an impression. And he's so imposing and powerful and alluring and all of and these that things. Voice. Like that yeah. voice. the Just everything. Like the Be My Victim. All that stuff, right? He's so iconic. And to some degree, by making him a Candyman instead of the Candyman, it feels a little bit like that character is diminished a little bit. Mm-hmm. And it does not make me like this movie less. But I don't know. Sometimes you just get attached to things. And so when they change, they <laughs> sting a little bit. <laughs> I guess you uh-huh. could say. So I think I was I was really 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 excited to see him show up at the end and see that face and hear that I know, voice. I wish we had gotten it for more than just a few seconds. I know I kept nice. wanting him to show up, yeah. but I get why they did it the way they did it. And these are very small nitpicks, but I don't know. I just I loved I loved the Candyman character so much. I just want him. I had this whole thing about how he was an egregore. That was my whole theory. So like an egregore is a god level tulpa. Oh. They exist in. Because they are believed in and thought about and that collective energy around thoughts. So that's a tulpa, right? But an egregore is an even bigger version of that. So Santa Claus is an egregore. Or God, if you depending on your religious, you know, proclivities, (laughs) is an egregore. And so to me, that's what Candyman was. And that change it doesn't necessarily mean that he can't be and that there's multiple ones. Mm -hmm. But again, it just comes back to the like uh versus the. I don't know. Right. Right. No, I understand what you're saying. I mean, I think that character is so iconic and so memorable that I get wanting it to just be just be the one and be him. Tony Todd is so intrinsically linked with that character. Yeah. Like, he is Candyman and Candyman is Tony Todd, you know? Yeah. But I'll, I'll get over it. It'll be <laughs> I'll power through. <laughs> so overall, Candyman, yay, nay. Oh, yes. Loved it. Go watch it. It's so much fun and thought-provoking. Agree, 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 agree. Watched it twice and look forward to watching it again. Me too. All right. So we got a letter. Oh, we did. Okay. We did. So I have not read it yet. You have to forgive me stumbling over the lines. I'm sure Ariel will make me sound better. (laughs) I didn't want to accidentally lift someone else's thoughts. And this person is very smart Mm -hmm. and thoughtful. So I decided to resist Mm -hmm. the urge to read it. Okay. This letter comes from our very own British bestie, Jody. 
Oh, awesome. <laughs> I know. Should I read it in That's English great. accent? No, no, no. Just kidding. <laughs> just so it would be so bad. It would be so bad. <laughs> it would be like, British Betsy goes bye-bye. <laughs> she would log off the Discord tomorrow. Okay. So she says, Candy Man. That's the subject. I am so stoked to hear you talking about this movie. I saw it in the cinema here in the UK on opening night and was blown away. Not only was it a relief that the movie was good after a year of buildup, yes, girl, yes, preach, yes, absolutely. But the fact that it's doing so well and directed by a woman of color is fantastic. It has to be opening so many doors for other for more directors to follow Nia DaCosta's footsteps. Yeah. That is such a great point. Because it really is. As shitty as it is, show business is a business. And if she can prove, which she shouldn't have to, but it is what it is, mm-hmm. that this is a financially beneficial path to take, those doors are going to open for people. Yeah. God, it must be exhausting to tra- blaze trails. <laughs> oh, I mean, Jesus Christ. Yeah, of course. And it's. She did it with this. I mean, now she's doing this Marvel movie that's yes. so much money. Uh, Lee Janiak is sort of on that same trajectory. Yes. yes. And it's very exciting to see, but it must be, yeah, tough, exhausting work. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Thank you for your labor, Fem. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so let's see. Massive kudos and congratulations to her. Agree. I adore the original Candyman. It was one of the first three or four horror movies I ever saw as an impressionable twelve-year-old. So I will oh, always. Oh wow! <laughs> right. I mean, that is a no wonder she can handle the rough stuff. <laughs> yeah. I started with I don't know, Mister Boogity. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so it will always hold a special place in my hollowed-out husk of a heart. <laughs> says the girl with truly the biggest heart of anyone. I know. And while it does have some white savior tropes, I'll say at at least it tried to talk about racism, police brutality, and gentrification, which I certainly had not seen in a horror movie before. That is, that is ac- true. absolutely true. I think it's easy now to kind of be really critical of the movie, and I, it deserves it. But, I mean, I showed it to Randy for the first time this year. He thought it was oh, going to be uh-huh. some dumb slasher, and he was like, there's so much more to this movie. Yeah, I can't believe how good it is. It's a very smart film. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It misses the mark in some ways. Sure. But, but for its time, pretty good. Yeah. Okay. However, I feel like it only scratches the surface and gives us the rich white person's view. Correct. Correct. DaCosta's movie gives us the full whack, and it really gets into these issues and their impact on marginalized communities. I just reread the original Clive Barker short story set in an e- estate in Liverpool. Not what you'd imagine when you'd see 1992's Cabrini Green. <laughs> but I feel like the new movie continues to pull at these threads where the first film didn't as much. I love the use of shadow puppets. Yeah, we didn't even talk about the fucking shadow puppets. I know, it's so good. This movie is too good. There's too much to talk about. And extending the theme of stories being passed down through generations. Yes, yes. For a sec, it was confusing to hear the wrong retelling of what happened to Helen. But that's the essence of urban legend. No, you're telling it wrong. This is how it really happened. Yeah, totally. The body horror was on point <laughs> and triggered my tripopophobia. Tripopophobia? I think I said that right. In the best way. Don't Google that phobia unless you want to get it. Mm. Do you know what that is, Ariel? Are you familiar with that? Yeah, it's the fear of holes and things, right? Yeah. I remember there was like one season of American Horror Story where it was, it might have been the one with the, the with the, all the Trump stuff, so I didn't watch it. Oh, uh-huh. All the key art had a bunch of that. Oh, it also had I don't a girl that. with 
uh, spider legs for eyelashes. It was a very upsetting season in terms of the key <laughs> art. But yeah, agree on the 100% on the body horror. It also just plainly works really well as a sequel, continuing with the story and extending the mythos just enough, but without constant nods to the original. Like, hey, remember in the film you like? Remember this bit? Yeah, <laughs> That's I, true. I actually really agree. There's a lot of, there are a handful of Easter eggs in this, but I feel like they're pretty well done. Mm-hmm. I loved that there were some really cool Easter eggs in it, like when his art project was a medicine cabinet. Right. That you would look through and see the violence on the other side. Yes. Oh, that's so true. Yes. Mm -hmm. Because there's that whole scene with the medicine cabinet. Right. She goes through the medicine cabinet. Also, the Mm -hmm. shape of the hole at the beginning in the laundry room is very reminiscent of the one that she goes through that has Candyman's face on the other side. That's true. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, like she said, it's not hit you in the face. If you haven't seen it for a while, it's not going to matter. But if you have, you're like, ah, I see that. Okay. Something I do find upsetting is the preemptive backlash against the movie before people even had a chance to see it. I try not to expose myself to opinions like this, but I did see a lot of sigh. Why do we need a woke candy man? <laughs> Said someone <laughs> who has clearly never seen the first candy man. <laughs> right. I, I had a conversation like this with some of my friends and they were like why does everything have to be so political these days i'm like i feel like people just aren't paying attention to movies because first of all horror has always been political always been political and the original Candyman is i mean it's trying to tackle these issues it might have fallen on its face a couple of times but it attempted it right yes it's not like this is unusual it's like the whole black christmas thing that exact same thing happened Mm -hmm. where people were pissed that they brought it in but it's like the first one talks about abortion rights yeah it was already talking about political stuff what are you talking about it's also the height of privilege to be like oh yeah why do i have to learn about these things for my entertainment (laughs) instead of experiencing them firsthand right Mm. right yeah it's such a bummer to watch it in a really fun movie when i've never had to experience it in real life drives me crazy i'm like i'm sorry but just can't extend the energy to feel bad for you on this subject i'm like i love you but it's just not where i'm putting my energy in this conversation (laughs) (laughs) if you're going to use woke as an insult you're the reason we need more movies and narratives like this bam i heard that mic drop all the way from england (laughs) (laughs) we love you (laughs) jody i mean she's totally right and i think yeah there are really great things about the internet. <laughs> mm-hmm. This sure. is not one of them. The whole yeah. preemptive anger and campaigns against movies drive me nuts. Yeah. You know, one of the other things that kind of bummed me out, too, was people calling it Jordan Peele's Candyman. That, I know. And every question they would ask her always was about Jordan Peele first. That was the first question. Yeah, it's it's super annoying. And even so I went to see this movie and I took I had to take a lift home. Mm-hmm. And the lift driver asked me what movie I had been to see. And I told him what the movie was. And he's like, Oh, that's the new Jordan Peele movie, right? And I'm like, sort of. <laughs> but that's not who directed it. Let me tell you about this woman. <laughs> She's amazing. Yeah. Uh, and you need to say her name because right. <laughs> you're gonna be once you see get your eyeballs on the Marvels. Yeah. And all the other things she's going to make. But yeah, I I think that is, you could not be more correct. The more people complain about how uncomfortable they are with political movies, the more I'm like, bring them on. You need them. <laughs> <laughs> you got it. Like, all to me. You need them. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe right. clearly you one haven't of them, the message yet. So. One of them might just might trigger like a new way of thinking or an unlearning <laughs> that we all need to do because we're all enmeshed and raised and in 
acculturated into this racist bullshit colonialist you know culture i'm sure in five years i'm gonna listen to this episode and cringe at the stupid shit i said so i'm just preemptively apologizing (laughs) (laughs) yeah there's a reason why i don't go back and listen to old episodes because i'm sure i bet they're bad i mean we started doing podcasts like 13 years ago or something yeah and i am i guarantee that i have said something offensive or stupid or cringeworthy over the years and i feel like i had listened to it i'm sorry for that in the show after i've said dumb shit i've been like ariel Mm -hmm. That's racist, isn't it? And you, and you were like, I think it is. And I was like, we got to stop saying that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, we have changed behaviors and, and the way that we speak over the years yeah. because we have learned more. And I mean, that's important. You got to grow. But with the internet being what it is, people can go back and listen to that now. And I'm I like, know, I right? promise I'm not saying that. I should put more now. and more behind the paywall. <laughs> 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 uh, she says, love you guys. Sweets to the sweets. Jody. Oh, Jody! Thank you so much for writing in. That Me was awesome. Too. It was really great to hear your perspective. Yes, absolutely. And sweets, to, you're the sweetest. So sweets to you, my dear. Oh my! <laughs> although it just totally made me think of that that bathroom scene in the original Candyman. Do you remember that? Yes. Ooh, oh, where it's like written in poop. Oh, it's so <laughs> gross. His approach takes her gloves off. It was funny because Randy was like, oh. "Put your gloves off." <laughs> like, that was like <laughs> the most distressing part for him. <laughs> oh. I can imagine. <laughs> awesome. All right. So, if like Jody, you are a smarty pants with smarty pants opinions, you need to write in. We would love to hear from you because honestly, I didn't get to ask you my question. Maybe you, the listeners. I'm going to ask you, and then I'm also if the listeners have some input on this. Okay. This is about the very end of the movie when Tony Todd, the Candyman, mm-hmm. arrives on the scene. And the last thing he says is tell everyone. What do you think the significance? What is he saying there? I don't totally understand. It feels important, but I was just kind of like, am I a dummy? I don't know what you're getting at. Right. Because I think you can almost read it two ways. Where is he saying, tell everyone about what happened to Anthony, that the ki- the cops killed him? Oh, you know? interesting. I see. I did not. Or is it about tell everyone about Candyman? You know, I Say mean, his name. It would certainly go back to my theory about him being an egregore. <laughs> right. If he doesn't thought about it, he doesn't live. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. Thank you. But I would love to hear everybody else's thoughts about that because I have no idea if I'm right. Yeah, absolutely. If you have thoughts about this or anything else we said or whatever, please drop us a line at Rachel at zombiegirls.com. That's G-R-R-L-Z. And uh, you're always welcome to hang out with us over on the Facebook page. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at ZG Podcasts, plural. That's right. I figured out you can change your handles. So we didn't need to have two different ones. We could them all the same so great so zb podcast (laughs) follow us at all the places and if you're enjoying the show please leave us a review on spotify or apple or wherever it is that you get your podcasts and if you're looking for something spooky to watch tonight you've already watched Candyman over and over and over again you need something new then check out our video on demand and streaming calendar over on the zombie girls website and if you're looking for some cool new clothes maybe a magnet maybe a beer koozie i don't know what they got check it out over on our merch page at zombiegirls.com forward slash merch and if you love us and you want to support us and you want some sweet extended content for instance today ariel we're gonna talk about candy 
Okay. I have I'm intrigued. some games for us to play. I have oh. some very disturbing information. <laughs> okay, about candy? About the real candy man. Oh, shit. Okay. There is a thing that is a real candy man that you need to know about. All right. Well, I'm interested. Well, hopefully people in the audience are too, because guess what? If you're a patron, you get to hear it. You also get to join our Discord, which is always a ton of fun. You get to see, you'll get to talk to Jody firsthand. Yeah. That's worth, that's worth signing up alone. Plus, you'll get to talk <laughs> to the rest of us jabronis. So, like, win, 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 win. <laughs> yeah. So, definitely do that. And I guess that just leaves what we're going to be doing on our next episode. So, it's my turn to pick. I'm thinking we should do a little anthology action. What do you think about that? Ooh, I think I know what you're going to say. <laughs> yes, this is definitely one that is uh, on the top of our most anticipated list. And that is the new entry into the VHS franchise, VHS 94. Oh, I'm so excited. And I know what you're thinking, but Rachel, there's a lot of directors in an anthology. Yeah. Yes, there are. Two of which <laughs> are of the lady persuasion. And that is Jennifer Reeder, who does the wraparound, and Chloe Okuno. Hopefully I'm saying that right. We will definitely know by next week who does one of the segments. So we're going to cover all of the segments of the movie. But we'll mostly just focus on probably the majority of our actual review on the wraparound and Chloe's segment. I mean, honestly, I just selfishly really want to watch this movie. <laughs> yeah, me too. I mean, you know, I'm a sucker for anthologies and VHS, you know, is a, has been a little bit hit or miss in the past. But when it's good, it's really good. It's really good. So, yeah, and the director of the best segment is back in this one. Ooh. Oh, oh, was it that cult one? Safe Haven? Yes. Awesome. Okay. Okay. All right. So here is the synopsis. And this is, by the way, on Shudder. So if you have Shudder, put it in your eyeballs. In VHS 94, after the discovery of a mysterious VHS tape, a brutish police SWAT team launch a high-intensity raid on a remote warehouse only to discover a sinister cult compound whose collection of pre-recorded material uncovers a nightmarish conspiracy. Ooh, cult stuff. I'm in. Ooh, have you seen the trailer for this? No. I, I don't watch trailers anymore. So I was too curious. I had to watch it. <laughs> it looks uh-huh. bananas. Okay. In the best Great. way possible. It, I think it's awesome. going to be a wild ride. So, yeah, I'm really, really, really excited to talk about this with you. So, everybody, get on the shutters. If you need to get a trial, do what you got to do. We're talking about VHS 94. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> All right, Ariel. Unless people are sticking around for the extended episode, we're done. So, take us out. <laughs> All right, guys. That's been another episode of the More Deadly Podcast. Thanks so much for listening to us talk endlessly about Candyman. We had so much fun talking about it. We hope you guys had a good time listening to it, and we will catch you next time. Bye, guys. Bye, everybody. Thanks, everybody, for listening, and to my co-host and good friend Ariel for always teaching me something new. Production on this episode was done by yours truly and edited by Ariel. Our theme song for the show is More Deadly by DJ Shark. And welcome to the after show, aka More Deadly After Dark. Ooh, spooky. <laughs> I like um, how you're making it spooky instead of sexy this time. I know. Well, I mean, it's it's spooky season. It's Halloween, right? Like we're, that's and, true. We're like, getting if close. It, if it's not October now, when you're listening to this, it will be very, very soon. 
And so I'm trying to like get into my ultra spooky ego right now. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> I got to get out all the Halloween decorations. Are you going to decorate for Halloween? Maybe. I in past years have decorated and done a ton of stuff and bought like a crap ton of candy for all because there are a ton of kids that live in my apartment complex, but yeah. they don't trick or treat in the apartment complex. They I all go elsewhere. What you need to do is advertise full bars for like a week before. Be like, this apartment <laughs> is going to have full bars. Like none of this. Full bars. None of this. Like, what are they called? Fun size bullshit. Full yeah. bars or GTFO. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then you know what you'll have? Ella kids. Hella kids who want that full <laughs> Snickers. They want six inches of straight up Snickers goodness. That's true. That's we used to go link. up to yeah. We used to go up to Piedmont to get full bars from all the Richie Richies up there. Right, Piedmont. I feel like, like that's like a full bar kind of town. Like, oh yeah. I think you'd get shamed if you went fun size. I mean, those houses are so giant in a city that costs so much to live in. I feel like you have to give out full bars, right? Yeah. Now I really want a full bar. Which is, okay, so because we're talking about Candyman, I figure we're going to have a conversation about candy today. Okay. Are you into that? Um, but I am into it. I'm just very curious about what it could be. But before we get into that, I need to know something very, very important about you, Ariel. Mm, okay. Favorite candy bar, and there is a right answer. There's a handful okay. of right answers. And then there's very, <laughs> very wrong answers. And if you say raisins, we're ending the podcast. <laughs> No, no raisins. Okay. So one would be anytime Reese's Cups puts out their holiday editions, Ooh. the ones that are shaped like pumpkins. Yeah. I hate the originals. They're gross, but I love those holiday ones. So mm. that, I also really love a Twix bar. Ooh, okay. Twist. I like it, but it's acceptable. It's acceptable. Okay. You didn't say what is yours? the bullshit of all bars, which is a Butterfinger. No, those are gross. They just get stuck in your teeth. Exactly. Finally, the the world gaslights me about Butterfingers. Thank you for being (laughs) on the right side of history. When I was a kid, I would always try to get my dad to buy me Butterfingers because Bart Simpson advertised them mm-hmm. you know in the 80s and mm-hmm. maybe the early 90s mm-hmm. but i was always so disappointed when i actually bit into one <laughs> those unlike heath bars are bullshit what are you yeah, what are agreed. you even doing with your life when there is nougat who eats that when nougat exists that's what i want to know <laughs> or like a delicious cookie bar like in a twix yeah the other thing that i despise is candy corn i don't I'm, know how you feel about i candy mean it's corn. like a sweet candle who wants to eat a sweet yeah. candle okay Thank you. See, my older sister is addicted to candy corn. She would eat mountains of that stuff if allowed. And I'm always like, it's so gross. What are you doing? Why are you eating that? That is an unacceptable opinion. (laughs) Right? Uh, There's there's unpopular opinions and unacceptable opinions. And that one is unacceptable. (laughs) So I love Reese's Peanut Butter Cups in season, out of season, whatever season. I love I love Mm -hmm. it that like a peanut butter that has so much sugar that it's crumbly. Like, yes, give it to me. (laughs) Right. But the one that I always reach for first, always, is gonna be a Snickers bar. That's like my numero uno. Like that or there is one that can usurp it. And that is an almond Hershey bar. It's simple. It's delicious. It's super chocolatey. Like there is a purity to an almond Hershey's bar that really cannot be beat. Hmm. All right. Yeah. All right. 
I, just, I used to always enjoy the 100 grand bars that you would get at Halloween, too, because I never saw those in the store. Yeah, those are good, too, because they're Lots like the Rice Krispie Treat with caramel in mm-hmm. the middle and chocolate on the yeah. outside. So you can't really go wrong. Oh, I really want a candy bar now. <laughs> <laughs> Fortunately, what I'm going to talk about next should clear that up. Okay. <laughs> so this first little game, this is the game, is called Confection Deception. Ooh, okay. So you've played two truths and a lie. I know because we've played it. Yes. This is two fakes and a truth. Mm-hmm. So I'm going okay. to, each of these have a theme. <laughs> and I'm going to give you the name of three candy bars. Okay. Or kinds of candy. I guess they're not all candy bars. And you have to tell me which one is the real one. And I have photos of them if you think I'm lying. Oh, all right. Okay. Interesting. Because they are, uh. <laughs> kind of surprising in some cases okay (laughs) okay cool so i'm going to pull this tab over here so that i have access to drop these links in first round round one is called caught in the act okay i don't (laughs) like the sound of that are people messing with candy (laughs) maybe all right which of these three candies is the real deal and which two are the fakes is it a Sour slurps. B. Take it. Three. Take it. Take it. Three. Suck it. 